Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of John, chapter 13, for this morning. Book of John, chapter 13. As we um, get ready to have Easter in the church, we're kind of uh, working up toward that in the scripture. And uh, today I'd like to talk to you about the great lesson. You've heard it said many times a picture is worth a a thousand words or, or more. And here we get one of the greatest pictures in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1 of John 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, part, and from this world to the Father, having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them to the end. The supper being ended, uh, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Verse 9, Peter changed his mind. Simon Peter said to the Lord, Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And that reference, of course, is to Judas. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when when he washed their feet, taking his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I, then, if I am then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, the greatest teachers are our examples, aren't they? The, not the things that we hear, but the things that we see. Uh, not the lectures that we enjoy, but the, uh, but the mannerisms of people that have crossed our path. In verse number one here, we find the Lord talking about his hour had come. It's interesting when you read that statement, uh, it brings to your mind so many times you saw in the, in the New Testament that uh, Jesus said, and actually in John chapter two, he said, my hour has not come. And then later in John chapter seven, verse 30, John says his hour had not come. And then later in John chapter eight, it says his hour had not come, but now we find in John chapter 13. Finally, his hour had come. Uh, The beginning of the end. Jesus knew his destiny, and he begins here now to talk not only about his own destiny, but about the destiny of his disciples. And so you and I today can learn a great lesson from this. 
And here we find uh, the beginning of the grand finale of the life of our Lord. You know, the book of John is uh, kind of divided into several sections. Uh, the first part talks about the first three years of the ministry of our Lord. And the next part talks about the last day of our Lord. Because it's that last day that brings everything together, all the prophecies together, and all the blessings together for you and for me. Uh, if you have a, a, a new living Bible, that's the kind of Bible that we promote here at the church. We have available back there in the office. Uh, there's a section in there in the teaching section called the chronology of the Bible or the harmony of the Gospels. And the authors of the Bible, uh, the authors of the Bible uh, put the ministry of Jesus under 250 events. And so this event of which I speak to you this morning is event number 210. Uh, and uh, it's interesting to look at the Bible in that context. Jesus here is uh, washing the disciples' feet. And you know, washing the feet of uh, the guest in the home was, uh, was an everyday occurrence. But it was, but it was only for the servant, the, the lowest person in rank uh, at that particular time. It was actually a servant's task. Um, whenever Jesus and his disciples came to the Last Supper, remember in Luke chapter 22, uh, they were arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Now, that's a strange thing, but uh, it's human nature, isn't it? I want to be first, let him be second. Uh, and so they were having this argument whenever they came to the Last Supper, who was going to be the greatest. And it's believed that in this particular supper that nobody washed the feet of those who came for the Last Supper uh, because nobody wanted to admit that they were last. They wanted all to be first. And so it's very possible that Jesus and his disciples sat down here at the Last Supper and with dirty feet, which was very uncustomary at that particular time. And so Jesus is going to teach them a gigantic lesson here. Um, he wanted to express his love to each and every one of them before he left them uh, to go back to heaven. And he leaves no one out. Uh, he epitomizes, doesn't he, unequal love for all. You know, whenever we look at the love of Jesus, it's, uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Because our love has so many strings attached, doesn't it? Our love is so unequal. You know, we love this person because they treat us better. We love this person because they're kind of lovable. Uh, we don't love this person because they're unlovable. And we don't love this person because they don't do this and they don't do that. And, and so here's Jesus and uh, he sees these disciples, they're all different. One of, them, uh, one of them is lost and will soon betray him. Uh, but he has this awesome ability uh, within his nature to love everybody equally. Uh, you know, a scene is worth a thousand words. And the scene, I think we have it, is Jesus washing the, the feet of the disciples. Uh, this picture... There it is. This picture is worth more than a thousand words. Here we find the last day of our Lord's life, right before he goes to the cross, he teaches his disciples a tremendous lesson. It's the lesson of humility. And you know, it's a thread that runs from the beginning of the end 
of our Lord's life. Uh, you know, he had, he had commanded them to be humble, but now he actually shows them what it really means. Uh, he wanted to be their servant. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Mark 10:45. Let's read it together, okay? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. When Jesus came down into this world, his mission was to serve people. He would be a servant. And, uh, and then he would go to the ultimate extreme servanthood and give his life as a substitutionary sacrifice for you and me upon the cross. He wanted to be a servant. You know, when we preach or when we witness, and I'm, I'm putting myself in there, I'm putting you in there, uh, we do it oftentimes from the platform of pride. We do. Look at what we know. We know something more than you know. We've been reading the Bible for two or three years, or we've been reading the Bible for 30 years, and we know an awful lot, and you don't know very much. You know, there's a temptation to go from the regular worldly pride, uh, the pride of status, the pride of accomplishments, to spiritual pride. It's the same thing. Pride is pride. And, uh, and many of us, before we were saved, were very proud of, of where, where we had come from, what we had accomplished. And we put some of that beside, but then, we, then it's, there's always a temptation to become arrogant about spiritual things. And that's what the Pharisees did. That's what the hypocrites did. Uh, they were arrogant about what they knew. They were students of the law. Um, I told you before, years ago, our church... Uh, assimilated the Calvary Baptist Church in Arlington, section of Pittsburgh, uh, Arlington Avenue. And uh, the church was struggling over there, and they had this big building, and, and we had a few people driving to our church from that area. And so, and so we said, okay, we'll, we'll send... Uh, Pete Peterson went over there for a couple of years, I think. Well, he went over there for more years than that, but he was the pastor of the church. And, uh, and did a really good job over there. And then Matt Azzalina came along and he followed him up. And we, I think it was about 13 years or so we, we were affiliated with that church. And they had a visitation program out there just like we, we had here at our church. And, and they would meet together there and, and they would go out in the neighborhood and they would witness for Christ. And we would do that here and they would do that there. And there was a fellow over there, and uh, I know Lois Giesman would know this guy, I can't remember his name, um, but he was quite brilliant in spiritual things. I mean, he knew the Bible inside, outside, and upside down. And when we met together for visitation, we would go out, and, and our goal on visitation was to share the gospel, you know, to try to bring somebody to Christ. You know, why put all that energy in anything else? And so uh, we'd, we'd go out and try to do that, and almost every week he'd come back and he'd tell us, uh, how many people he got into a debate with. And we weren't really looking to go out to get into a debate. We were just going out to share a message, that's all. Um, but he somehow always turned it into a debate. And somehow, beyond that, he always won the debate. I mean, he just made sure he won. And I'm sure he had the ability to do that. But he never came back and said he won a soul to Christ. He was spiritually arrogant. He was spiritually prideful. And so Jesus had to teach his disciples. Remember, they were like on the inside track. You know, how would you have liked to have been one of the disciples of Jesus? 
going up and down the land with him for three years. Wouldn't that build you up and make you look important in people's eyes? And so Jesus says, listen, you've got to get this out of your system. It's not who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. It is those who are the least in the kingdom of God. And so he's teaching them this lesson. Uh, later, Peter did learn the lesson, by the way. He struggled with it, but he learned it well. Because for those of you who have been here recently, we've been, uh, we've been studying First and Second Peter. And in 1 Peter 3.15, he says this. Let's read it. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Uh, and what he's talking about is preaching the gospel. When you preach the gospel, you've got to do it with meekness and fear. Uh, in other words, humility and respect, not pride. Not coming back saying, hey, I really won that argument. You know, I really debated him into the ground. And so Jesus is trying to teach his disciples this. And so he gets a towel and a, 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 a basin of water and he proceeds to try to wash his disciples' feet. Now, not to our surprise, Peter protests. Peter is always in the center of things, isn't he? I mean, he's always there. Almost in every situation, he kind of rises up and does his thing. He protested. What's new? Well, look at verse number 8. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now, that would change your mind, wouldn't it? It changed Peter's mind. And he backed off real quickly. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Listen, if you want to put it that way, count me in, not out. And, you know, he had the same reaction that John the Baptist had. Remember when Jesus came to be baptized by John the Baptist? John the Baptist says, hey, listen, this shouldn't happen. It should be the other way around. You should be baptizing me. And so we've got to give Peter the benefit of the doubt here, even though he was uh, verbose and even though he was impetuous and, and uh, so demonstrative all the time. Uh, probably some of us, maybe he was speaking for the group as a whole. Well, he said, listen, uh, if that's the case, Lord, uh, you, can, uh, you can wash me. But there's some spiritual symbolism here. In verse number 10, let, look at that with me. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed. In the margin of my Bible, I've written the word saved. Because the spiritual symbolism here is that Jesus is saying is when you're washed all over, you only need your feet washed. And so we believe that this symbolism here is talking about someone who has come to Christ, because often in the Bible, salvation is depicted as a cleansing. You know, I've told you before, when I accepted the Lord as a kid, I came home and the first thing I said to my mother is, Mother, I feel like I've been washed out on the inside. I feel so clean. That's exactly what I told my mother. Well, in the New Testament, uh, the, the, whole, the whole idea oftentimes is being cleansed. Titus 3.5 is a, is a great verse for us. Let's read this. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration 
and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Washing. Whenever we're saved, the Lord washes us. And he does, doesn't wash part of us. He washes all of us, uh, all parts of us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9, I think we have that. Let's read that. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. And I've chosen those two verses to show you that this washing is, depicts our salvation. And so Jesus is talking here about being bathed. You know, a, a clean bathed person just needs to have their feet washed. They wore sandals over there, as, uh, as we think they did, and they walked in a lot of dirt. Uh, and so uh, whenever they took a bath, they, they were completely clean, but they always seemed to be needing their feet washed. And so Jesus said, listen, uh, when, you're, when you're bathed, that's one thing, but beyond that, you need uh, your feet to be washed, too. Well, being bathed is a picture of uh, justification, being declared righteous, being saved. Um, Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous. When we're saved, the Lord says, listen, you're righteous. And we respond by saying, who, me? Not me, Lord. And the Lord responds by saying, that's exactly what I said to you. I declare you righteous. That means you're forgiven completely and totally from all your sins, past, present, and future. And, and so that's why we love the, the little song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Because it's too amazing. It kinda, it's too big for us to really comprehend, isn't it? We call that justification. When I was growing up in the church, the old pastor used to say, the way to remember... Uh, what justification means is to think just as though we had never sinned. And so, therefore, let's just pass that on to this generation, okay? Let's say it together. Just as though we had never sinned. I think you've got to do it one more time. Just as though we had never sinned. When we're saved, that's the way God sees us, positionally. Just as though we've never sinned. That's the only way that we can have fellowship with God, or, or that's the only way we can be in a, a relationship with God uh, through his son, through adoption. Well, in Philippians 3.9, it says, And being found in him, not having our own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You and I are saved by faith, not by works. You know, you could work your hands down to the nub, uh, that won't get you anywhere. I remember one day I was talking to one of the guys in the neighborhood and, and uh, down at the car show where I hang out a little bit in the summer. And I said, you know, God doesn't have a point system. I thought he was going to fall over and had a heart attack. He'd been raised his whole year, he'd been raised his whole life thinking God has a point system. And if he gets enough good points and uh, fewer bad points, that that would get him an entrance into heaven. And I said, that's just not the way it works. Amen. Not the way it works. There is not enough good points uh, that can ever get anybody into heaven. We're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. We're saved simply uh, by trusting in the only work that God accepts, and that's the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And so we get in on it when we embrace him by faith.
Philippians uh, 3. Uh, uh, the next step is the feet washing, and that we could, let's call that sanctification, okay? You don't have to remember these terms, but uh, you might want to. And sanctification is the washing that we need for fellowship. Justification is the washing we need for salvation. Sanctification is the washing we need for fellowship with the Lord. You know, you can tell when you're out of fellowship with the Lord, can't you? I mean, you're going about your day and you say, you know, I just don't feel very connected to God today. Uh, And then some days you feel like, man, I'll tell you, the Lord's right here with me. He and I are are doing this together. That's fellowship. We call that sanctification. Philippians 3.12 is... uh, Think we, if we took a deep breath, you think we could get through this verse up here? Okay, let's try that. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting these things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, salvation is not the end, it's just the beginning. And he says here, listen, don't look at me as though I have arrived. I haven't. I do not count myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived. I'm just on the journey. And the journey is, is a long journey, isn't it? I mean, it'll take you the rest of your lifetime to do this journey. He said, listen, I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize. And what happens is this. Even though we are saved and we know that we stand perfect in the sight of God because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, there are there are all sorts of other issues that enter into our life as a Christian. And sometimes people are demoralized by this. They come into the church, they accept the Lord as their Savior, and then they go out and they do some of the stuff they used to do, and they're surprised because they thought that that was all behind them. And then when they do that, they feel guilty. Well, you know, our Christian journey is a lot of walking through the dirt of life. You know that? And there's a lot of dirt out there. And you and I have to walk through it. And you know what happens is this. We get our feet dirty. We get our feet dirty. And so that's where the foot washing part comes in. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. Let's, Let's try to go through this a little bit this morning, okay? But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see all those references in there to cleansing? This is talking about the Christian. When a Christian comes to Christ, God forgives us of all of our sins, and we stand positionally, essentially perfect in the sight of God. But practically, it's another issue. 
practically we do sin. We do sin. How about an amen on that? Sure. We sin by the things that we think, sins of, uh, by the things we do, commission, omission, the whole thing, we, do, we still sin. And here John says, if you say you're not sinning, I'll tell you, you're really deceived. And the truth isn't in you. He says, I know you do, and, but I'll tell you what to do when you do that. You have to confess those sins. And this is why it's so important for you and me to have a, a, a brutally honest, everyday confession time to the Lord and say, listen, Lord, I have failed in this area. I have sinned in this area. Please forgive me. And what that means is, God, lift the guilt off of me that these sins produce in my life. Because isn't that what happened? When we sin, it produces guilt, right? We say, oh, I'm so down on myself. I shouldn't have done that. I did that spontaneously without thinking, and it was wrong to do. And so we get beaten down as a Christian, and so that's why this fellowship confession has to come into play. And here's the miracle of it all. The miracle of it all is, is the fact that God forgives us on a daily basis when we ask him and he lifts the burden of guilt so that we can run again. Because if we don't have a good confession time, what happens is the guilt just piles up on us. And, and what happens as a Christian is we start going slower and slower. The energizer rabbit just slows down. And we, and we begin to go slower and slower and because we have all this weight of guilt. But when we confess our sins, look what it says. He is faithful to, to do what? Forgive us our sins. And that means lift the burden of guilt off of us, okay? And so that's uh, sanctification. Now, without this washing, there can be no fellowship with God. Yeah, we're saved. That's a one-time event. It never happens again. Uh, but confession uh, to fellowship is something that is a daily thing. Uh, whenever I confess those things that I've done that are wrong in my life, the Lord forgives me, and we go on. And that's the way we're, it's supposed to, that's the way it's designed to be. Now, Jesus here was demonstrating his love uh, and humility in action. Go with Jesus and move around the room with him today. As he uh, kneels and he washes his disciples' feet, guess who he runs into? You tell me. Judas. What will he do? He'll wash his feet. He'll wash his feet. Uh, why did Jesus wash the feet of Judas? Well, I think Jesus wants you and me to know how to treat our enemies. You know, Let's, let's go here. We, we have a couple minutes. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 in your Bible. Just, just turn over there. It's not far to the left. Matthew 5, 44. Uh, these are in red letters. Uh, whenever Jesus said this, it blew the people's minds because they weren't used to this. Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your what? Bless those who what? Curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, Jesus knew what was going on. 
He knew that Judas was going to soon go and betray him. Uh, but, uh, but he knelt there and he washed his feet. Judas had plenty of opportunities to be saved, but he rejected them. Uh, you know, how many times they must have uh, been reminded that, that they were called to serve, but that was a hard thing to remember. What a difference it made. Imagine how difficult the growth of the early church would have been had they all continued vying for greatness and uh, importance in the church. If these disciples came into the church and said, hey, listen, I want to sit on the front. You sit in the back. I want to be called on to pray. You don't, you don't pray in the church. Uh, it wouldn't have worked. But Jesus said, listen, you've got to get this worked out. You have to defer to each other. You have to prefer others before you. And so, uh, and so I'm going to show you how to do that. I'm going to show you how to do that. And so I'm going to kneel and I'm going to wash your feet. And I want you to get this message because a picture is worth a thousand words. Charles Spurgeon said one time this, covet humble work. Covet it. Uh, work to be done in the church, just give me the hardest job. And you know, that's, that's hard to do that, but I'll tell you, that's what Jesus wants us to do. And so Jesus uh, gave them this tremendous picture, and then he announced his uh, departure. Verse number 33, let's, uh, let's go back there and look at verse 33. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus announces his departure. And his departure is to go back to the glory from which he came. Remember in John chapter 17, he prayed to his father and he said, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Well, I can imagine that Jesus really missed the fellowship of heaven. He'd been there for a long time. And now he, he, uh, he just takes kind of a, a time out to go down to walk in the muck of the world. And now he is just on the verge of going back to heaven. And so uh, when he goes back to heaven, though, it's not going to be like his pre-incarnate state was. Because now he has a resurrected body and nail prints in his hands. Remember, he showed Thomas. And he would look differently now. Back in heaven. Revelation 5, 6 gives us a little picture. Let's read this. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne out of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. A lamb. When you read the book of Revelation, you keep seeing that Jesus is a lamb. Uh, that, that picture is, is there forever. Uh, and so now Jesus is looking past the cross, and uh, Hebrews 12.2 tells you and me to do the same thing. Whenever we serve the Lord, who are we to keep our eyes on? We're to keep our eyes on Christ, right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, the, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him. Jesus somehow at this point could look over the cross to the joy. The joy that he could see in your life. The joy that he could see in my life that we are saved by his blood. 
And he says, listen, I'm going to leave this new commandment with you. I want you to love one another. Now, I know when you read that, you said, boy, that's not new because that's been in the Bible for a long time. Deuteronomy 6, 4. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus repeated it in the New Testament. Then he says, you shall love your what? Neighbor. Uh, and, and so the command of love had been around for a long time, but what Jesus did is he infused new meaning in this thing of love, a sacrificial love modeled by his love. And the only way that any of us can have the love of Christ in our heart is through the Holy Spirit. You know that? You can't build this thing up. You can't say, hey, listen, I know I ought to love you, but I don't really. The Holy Spirit can give us that. And so he says, this is the kind of love I want you to show the world. And look at verse number 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have what? That's the great testimony of the church. People drive by the church, they should say, hey, listen, I think those people love each other up there. Now, I know that sometimes in churches that people drive by and they say, I think they're having a war up there or over there. Let's not use that word up there, over there. Uh, and uh, the greatest testimony in the world is for people to know about your church and say, hey, listen, those people love each other. I think they're the real deal. Because love takes humility, doesn't it? Whenever you exert pride, all kind of bad things happen. You know, I'll get my way. Oh, no, I want my way. Well, let's just fight it out right here on the church floor. You know, that's, that's not very God-honoring, is it? Of course not. And so he says, the people are going to know by your love uh, that you're my child. You know, the theory of being a servant isn't worth much, but it's the practice of a servant that really counts. And I know that in theory, you know what I'm talking about today. I know that you know Jesus came to serve, and I know that Jesus called you and me to serve, but actually putting it into practice a little bit harder, isn't it? Edgar Guest wrote a terrific poem. Some of you have heard it. It's entitled, The Sermons We See. He said this, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. The best of all preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what people really need. I soon can learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And so Jesus says, I'm going to show you what the world needs to see from you. I want you to humble yourself. I want you to serve even the person who is going to betray you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I wonder how, how we can respond to this message of uh, servanthood. 
you know, how lately have uh, how have we conducted ourselves lately? Have we been kind of like muscling it through, pushing other people around, saying, "Listen, I'll get my way," rather than just humbly walking as a Christian and and uh, being humble. I know this is something all of us struggle with. I'm putting myself right out there in the midst of it all. Uh, but, it's, but it's a lesson we need to learn. And Jesus said, listen, uh, I'm your teacher. I've shown, you, I've shown you how to do this. I've given you exam- an example that you should do as I have done. And so I want to encourage you today uh, to learn this lesson. Uh, once again, uh, for this Easter season. Dear Lord, move in our heart today as we uh, come to the end of the service. We pray that uh, this picture uh, of Jesus and uh, the washing his disciples' feet will be uh, in our mind as we go about our daily life. In Jesus' name we pray.